welcome to Read This Fucking Book, Episode 4, Ancillary Justice. I'm Rachel. I'm Elena. I'm Lauren. And I'm Matt. And we have two guests with us tonight, uh, Lauren and Matt. Lauren is from Fire and Lunch's podcast. So hi, Lauren. I know you. Hi, I know you too. Yeah. How you doing? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. And Matt is our friend who is awesome and also likes Game of Thrones, but reads other stuff as well. Uh, so we're going to talk about <laughs> Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Uh, this is a very recent book. It was just published in 2013. It's part of a trilogy, but we're only reading the first book uh, for this episode. Um, Ancillary Justice was Leckie's debut novel, which just, that's kind of staggering to me, but whatever. She's talented. Uh, it won the Hugo Award, the Nebula Award, the BSFA Award, the Arthur C. Clarke Award, and the Locus Award. It's got a bunch of other awards, but those are all the big ones. Um... And so the next two books are Ancillary Sword and Ancillary Mercy. Those came out in 2014 and 2015. So if you like this first book, you should go out and get the other two. Uh, so Rachel, oh, I'm sorry, Elena and I have read this. <laughs> I'm reading a document. Leave me alone. Elena and I have read this already. Uh, and you guys haven't. You're the newbies. So tell us, what is this book about? Uh, I guess that one's on me. Uh, yes. So... It's uh, the the main thing about the book is that it comes from the viewpoint of an an AI, which is as we understand has very many physical manifestations, and it jumps around in time quite a bit as we unravel the history and current circumstances of this main character. And one of the main points of the main character is un, is inability to distinguish gender, which leads to all kinds of interesting scenarios with uh, gender. Confusion and neutrality, and I don't. How much spoiler am I giving here? You're allowed to spoil as much as you want. Oh, okay. This is uh, a discussion, not a review, so we yeah. we don't leave so things I, out. Okay, so obviously, since we're set very far in the future, we're dealing with an, a multi-system spanning galactic empire of some sort. It's unclear the exact nature of that empire in this book, and you know, we kind of learn bits and pieces about the nature of that world and other cultures as the book progresses. Nice. That's good. That's not confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this book was confusing. Well, no? I tried to make it simple. <laughs> <laughs> I figured we'd get um, to that. We'll let our discussion be confusing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, Elena, this was your second reading, mine too. Was it just as good on the second read? Better? I, For me, it was a lot better. Um, I... On my first read, I was fascinated by the premise, but I spent a lot of time and mental energy trying to, like, figure out what gender everybody was, and also just what was going on. And yeah. um, and and this time, I felt like I was really just kind of reading for the story and reading for a lot of the nuance, and I, I picked up a lot more, and it, it went a lot faster, because I remember having friction for about the first hundred pages and I was like, okay, this idea is too fascinating to put it down, but I wasn't into it. And I think it was maybe like the second chapter this time I was like, oh, this is good. This shit's good. <laughs> so I, I felt it was a lot better. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? Oh, well, I was going to ask Lauren what she thought. Oh, well, my enough. reaction was pretty much what Elena's was on her first reading. Um, and I'll be honest with you, the more I spent getting distracted by the gender thing the more i didn't care about the story because i couldn't even focus on the story anymore because i was just like but is it male or female why is this supposed to be important and the <laughs> problem was it really wasn't important and so i felt that it, it kept distracting oh. me from what i was reading and like i don't care if they're male or they're female but 
she kept bringing it up in ways that it just kept like my mind would drift from what I was reading to still like but what about, is it about this person that makes it male or female and right. I, I found it more distracting to the story and maybe if I gave it a second read I wouldn't I wouldn't do that but yeah, yeah I, no I found I mean, it confusing I, I read an art like an interview with with Anne Leckie and she people are like oh you know the first question they always ask her is, you know, why, why did you choose to write this book with using only the pronouns of she? And she said that it was weird because she just decided to do that, but she, it wasn't like the point of the story at all. So she, th she was like, she admitted to thinking it was kind of annoying that people <laughs> focus on that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, you can't I do that without fact. expecting people to talk about it. Right. Yeah. And I love the fact that the main pronoun was she. Like, I thought that was great. But, if, and if they just left it at that, that would have been fine. But the fact that there are languages where he and she are distinguishable, mm -hmm. and that the AI kept trying, like, Brett kept trying to figure that whether the person was, was male or female, and whether he was getting it, or she, actually, I think Brett is female, uh, was getting it... Um, right in the language to me that sounded like this was something we were supposed to know and that's what i found distracting what i found baffling was that at first i didn't understand if the lack of gender had something to do with the species or with mm -hmm. the narrator and so i since i i kind of envisioned the okay i'm gonna mess this radchi 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 i say radchi i say radchi okay okay sounds like a really cool tea um, but the rad chai, <laughs> the rad You can chai. say rad chi if you want. There's no one here stopping you. The rad chai, <laughs> the cool latte is, uh, is, uh, like, yeah, I didn't know, like, do they not have genders or are they some kind of like female dominated species or they, it took a while to understand that this was a viewpoint issue. And I'm the first one to love, uh, and, uh, what do you call it? Minor blank. Oh, it, a non-dependable narrator. I love that. Mm -hmm. But this one, it felt a little bit like I loved the idea, but in implementation, it kind of got in the way of the story. That's interesting. So what, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, here's what's funny about, like, because I remember on my first read, I was pissed off at the pointlessness of the gender thing to the story yes. because I was, I was assuming yeah. it was, like, the, kind of the point of what she set up. And then I was like, but then it doesn't fucking mean anything so yes. she, like why and i got really mad about it the first time i read it i'm like why would you go to all this trouble to set up this whole like obvious shtick and then like it's completely irrelevant to what's going on i did not feel that way this time like for me it was mm. it was just a thing and it was i think much more how the author intended it on my second read so yeah i love it i have to tell you i love it because it makes me reevaluate my assumptions about the characters mm. uh I, I immediately make everyone female, like everyone's a badass lady, but then, you know, very up to, you know, near the front of the story, she introduces characters that speak other languages that are gender, that have gender pronouns, and she then identifies, you know, the sexes of people, and or at least the perceived sex of people, because it looks like the Rad Chai don't care, um, kind of, you know, it's like fashion to them, or, or hair color. Like, right. Uh, like, cause you know, there was, she was like, there's that one question where they're like, how do you procreate? She's like, like normal people do you grow one or you have sex or you get a womb implanted <laughs> or like she lists like 10 things. And the doctor's like, that isn't what the rest of us do. 
but I loved it because I, then I was immediately like, but all this whole cast of badass ladies and now some of them are men. And then I realized my own biases of like how, like the body language that I pictured and like, like Sivarden, it really fucks with my head with Sivarden especially because yeah. in my head, you know, when, when, when she's introduced, it's very, it's, I'm like, okay, she's, she's this bratty kind of like, you know, listless woman but then i'm like no it's a man so he's got to be like vibrant and vital and i'm like but no he's still kind of just sitting there on the ground all the time getting punched in the face so i don't know i really enjoyed the dichotomy and the way that it challenged me to imagine the characters it made me evaluate how i look at things in general because honestly when i pick up the book i started thinking grek was male and like this was in my head and then i stopped and i was like wait a minute all of these, all of the, the stronger characters are female. Why would I think Breck is male when everybody else is female? Um, and so, like, it made me stop and think that way. But then again, it took me away from the plot because I spent so much time trying to figure out what anybody is. And then I was just like, ah, I don't care. But that's like Breck's struggle, too. Breck is always like, I don't, it seems important that I know these things, but I can't figure it out. And, and she spends a lot of time on it. Well, I, I think something important too is Breck only has a gender for part of the story, because for mo- most of the story she's a collective, mm-hmm. and so she is without gender because she's all of those people. So it's only when she becomes a single ancillary that she has a gender, mm-hmm. right? And that's only a gender inflicted on her externally because, like, the AI doesn't view itself as female. It doesn't see any difference in right. its body as being like biologically female versus male, or at least not that it ever talks about. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think Sivarden is the only uh, major character that is definitively uh, shown to be male. Because he's the only- Anandar Mianai, which is hilarious name. Correct. Yes. I think- Yes, you you were right. Anandar Mianai. I was picturing that as I was picturing that as female. Um, I, I always try yeah. and make uh, the Anander Maya and I female too, but uh, that is a body that is definitively said to be male by yeah. someone on Ors. Or yeah, they call him. So. Yeah, they call him a he all the time. So, what do you guys think about that? Let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about the difference between ancillaries and the ships and Anandar me and I me on I, I really hope it's me and I because that's basically a pun <laughs> um, oh, I just got that <laughs> so that's how I say it and I laugh every time uh, <laughs> do you think that Anandar started out the lord of the Raj that that he started out as a person a ship an AI like what the hell is he I kind of assumed and I'm inventing a whole backstory here is that, you know, society makes their first AI, that AI takes over, creates other AIs to serve it, and that becomes the culture. Anybody else think anything different? Because I, I disagree. When, when I, Matt told me that at lunch, I was like, yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> I mean, I actually never uh, pictured Anander as anything except human, at least originally, but um, obviously some sort of uh, uploading, you know, sort of link had to have happened in order to possess multiple bodies that can right. act independently, but also function as a hive mind, every one aware of what the others are doing. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think that he, it was a person at one point. 
I don't know if it remembers ever being just like a regular single person, but I think it started out as a person. I don't know. It's just like this whole universe is very like Baroque sci-fi empire. Like it's like a throwaway that there's a Dyson sphere somewhere in the middle of the, of the empire. And like, nobody goes there. And I'm like, what, what there's a Dyson sphere? Like what? And they can jump and they have gates and it's just like this amazing technology. So I feel like they're like a post, I don't, they're like, I don't know. Empire in decline. That's like a trope. That's probably a sci-fi trope. Empire in decline. I mean, I love the idea that there's an entire culture within this Dyson sphere that is completely nestled and never seen. And then they just send out these like, other things. These people aren't even the rad rad chai. They're yeah, just sort they're of just like the their people fingers. they conquered. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's very it's very much like the Roman Empire, and I'm sure that's, you know, the analogy the easy analogy to draw is, you know, you have Rome and those are the Roman citizens and then you conquer territories and they become like they think of themselves as Romans and so then you have to like push the frontier out so that, you know, the hinterlands between the true barbarians and civilization, you know, like still have that barrier and and that i mean that concept was explicitly discussed and so this is in space it's on the scale of thousands of years minimally uh possibly more that this has been going on so yeah and it seems to be that their economy their social structure that's all based on the expansion of that territory so i think for Mm -hmm. me that's what this book is about more than the gender thing uh and 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 we talked about this in our last episode elena about that And I said this, I said, all sci-fi is just an examination of what it's like to be a person or like, whatever. I said something dumb and Mm -hmm. the, (laughs) except it's not dumb in the context, you guys, I promise. (laughs) It's not. Yeah. It's real smart. (laughs) But I don't know if that's what this story is at at its core, if it really is about Breck being a person, because I don't think, I think it's really important that Breck is not a person. And I don't think Breck wants to be a person, and no. I don't think Breck becomes a person. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that this is more of a story about, like, empire and, you know, kind of, like, how that works or what it does to a society or, I don't know, the spread of idea or the acceptance of things that are different from you. But definitely not what is it like to be a person, because Breck is not a person. But I would I would disagree with that, because it's... Not a human necessarily. Not but a human person. Yeah. She is, Sorry. you know, Bias. an intelligence. And so, if if the kind of examining question is like, what does it mean to be like to have that idea of I, I, I think therefore I am like Breck definitely has that, and also you know, weirdly or maybe not weirdly, we can talk about that. Um, has she does things that she doesn't necessarily consciously recognize why she's doing them, which that kind of argues for this being an AI with emotional development. Obviously, you know, as in the one esque part, she has an attachment to music. She has an attachment to Lieutenant on, she has the desire for revenge. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. Okay. She... So let me stop you. What is an ancillary? We should just okay. talk about that. Yeah. So this is one of the high, kind of the high concepts of the book. Um, an ancillary is, a, essentially, it is a human body that has been taken over with the mind of the AI of a ship. So they're also called corpse soldiers. Um, essentially, they, I mean, the, the analog would be robots, um, I guess, where Borg. they're c- controlled Borg. by the Borg. ship. Yeah. Um, and they don't, Pretty like, they have, a, they have an individual awareness, but it's constantly, like, linked to the awareness of the ship itself, of each other. Um, and they don't. So it seems at first have a particular degree of um, autonomy. I mean, they they do and that they can go about their daily tasks, but they don't seem to have a separate identity. 
but then um, as the story progresses, you find that actually there are cases where parts of the AI begins to splinter and actually form a, an identity separate from the primary AI and potentially even be able to act without the knowledge or permission of that primary AI. And so Breck, the main character of the novel, is the sole remaining ancillary body and remaining remnant of a ship's AI where the ship and all the other ancillaries were destroyed. We know so that for sad. sure, right? We know, know that for, for sure, sure that the yeah. yeah, yes. Justice of Torrin is destroyed. Justice of Torrin exploded, yes. Okay. Yes, well, she, she, I haven't she, read she, the other books yet. So, but, cor- yeah. Correct, but, but she saw the, the flash of light four minutes before she should have exited the gate, and that, to the mind of the AI, which I would assume would understand these things, meant the ship was blown up. Okay. And there were, did Ananda confirm it? I don't, maybe I'm just misremembering, I but feel, I feel I like... Feel like I feel like the answer is yes. Yeah. I, I feel like so, too. Well, because the other ship said something about uh, Justice of Torrin being gone, right? Yeah. Well, the Just, Justice of Torrin disappeared, and so the rest of the ships and, like, all the, you know, public knowledge is that it disappeared, and it's kind of a creepy mystery to everybody. But I, I do feel like there was a private conversation between Breck and one of the Anonders that he did confirm having actually destroyed it. Yeah. So, so Breck, and then I think that's, it's also important to note. So Breck is a segment of Justice of Torin 1-esque. one esque was its like main 20 body arm. The ones that, that's the, the, the body that served all of the lieutenants, all of the higher officers that, that, you know, lived and ran the ship. And then it had other, it had other, um, decks so there were other groups of 20 bodies and then each body has a number breck it turns out is number 19 which is the body that was replaced shortly after lieutenant on was killed by yeah too which is don't feel bad i picked it up when i was skimming like so this is kind of a third read when i was skimming to pull like what sections we're gonna read so I don't know if Rachel got it sooner, but I, I got it. I got it in my first read. Sorry, uh, oh, <laughs> because you. because I'm like <laughs> I was like I was probably too busy trying to figure out who was male and female still at that point. <laughs> well, I only made that connection because of the fact that Breck is, can't sing, and then mm-hmm. the doctor had pulled the doctor that for whatever reason was antagonistic towards the ship had pulled a body that couldn't sing, and it, it, the reason that. I picked it up is because it bothered me that why did how did the doctor know that that one couldn't sing like yeah if the body is dead it's not like it's doing anything much less singing they're not dead they're kind of held in in permanent um, yeah it's suspension you know batteries there's there was a throwaway well there was a throwaway line about how the bodies were all thoroughly evaluated for compatibility so presumably for whatever reason, vocal qualities would have been included. All, Actually, I can, you, all I can picture is the scene from The Princess Bride where he's, like, pushing on it. He, like, puts the bellows in his mouth and then pushes down on the chest. I'm like, how are they, evalu- yeah. how are they evaluating that? But they were, but, okay, so the ancillaries, though, but they're created out of human captives, and they were specifically, like, yeah. taken captive to be made into ancillaries, and so they would have been evaluated like as while they were still fully conscious as human prisoners, like before they were put right. into suspension, yeah. and it's actually kind of an awful scene when that segment gets connected because yeah. you see that moment where the body is actually regaining consciousness of 
itself and like help me get me the fuck out of here what's happening before the ship can take control like whether it does or not like before the ship can like take control of of the body so um so yeah I, i would assume it would have something to do with like giving orders or you know is this a that kind of vocal quality but right. maybe it was more thorough i don't know while you're m- making one note why not make another it could just have an ugly nope. voice i mean who knows i mean yeah. or maybe she had like to use the princess bride callback the uh voice of the um oh the, the pit yeah. of despair <laughs> <laughs> yeah the albino <laughs> But that's, I mean, that's so sad. So the reason that we're talking about this, dear listener, although why you've gotten this far without having read Ancillary Justice, I don't know. But uh, one esque okay likes, if you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> one esque likes to sing. It's a weird thing. It's like an AI tick, but for whatever, everybody knows it. One esque likes to sing and they sing choral music together. So one esque prefers bodies, segments that have nice voices. But is this um, some remnant of them remembering something of what they originally were? Well, so you, you say that, but Breck, one ask liked to sing before Breck was ever woken up. But Breck is the only one left. So it's not Breck. That's definitely something left over from some something else. Oh, yeah, because like, I mean, like back the... in Savardin's day, it was a thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm just saying any of them, like any of the ancillaries, is this maybe somebody, somebody's memory, somebody's remnant is still there that it got infiltrated with, through the rest of them? Potentially. Potentially, yeah. I mean, uh, who knows what the AI is, uh, how the AI, I mean, it's not explained how you're hooked up. All you know is that you are. Well, There's if some they, sort of implant. Right. Because for me, it's like, you know Breck has feelings towards things. And that's why I'm wondering if some of this is remnants from what they originally were. Because they... They, this, I mean, clearly they're not, they're not all of a hive mind if they can have some sort of independent thought occasionally. So, well, I don't, I don't necessarily think of it as independent thought. I don't, what do you guys think? I mean, does that explain why Breck likes one person over the other because it has some kind of memory of being, being made an ancillary? Well, uh I actually, I, I, I highlighted the passage where it, it talks about um, how one esque started singing. Um, I, I, that is, I one esque first sang to amuse one of my lieutenants when Justice of Torin had hardly been commissioned a hundred years. She enjoyed music and had bought an instrument, brought an instrument with her as part of her luggage allowance. She could never interest the other officers in her hobby, and so she taught me the parts to the songs she played. I filed those away and went looking for more to please her. So this is, I would guess, like one of the first favorites that Torin had, um, and so the ship. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds. To, I, I read it as the ship developed this interest in order to please one of its favorites, and then for whatever reason, it just stuck. So like it was not a, a remnant of a memory from its human life, but one that one of the human officers, the AI knew, kind of introduced it to. Yeah, and there's a passage later on in the novel when Breck is... I'm sorry, it's not Breck. I think it's somebody's talking to Anandar Minai, whatever. <laughs> and uh, and he says something like, like, you know, how do you... Oh, God, I can't remember who, it actually, who actually asks it. But it's basically like, how do you 
keep control. Oh, as it is. It's when Breck is talking to that doctor when they're negotiating over the gun for like that like 40 page part of the book. And the doctor's like, I don't understand how how the Raj keep the ships enslaved. And, you know, Breck as Justice of Torin is like, well, I don't I don't know. Like one of the ways that they do that is they make us like our they make us like people. We don't want to right. kill ourselves or kill our whole crew because we like them. We love them. So, yeah, I think that that's built in that they that they want to please and care for their crew. So, yeah, I don't necessarily think that it's a memory or a lost memory or like a lost hobby. I think that it really is the ship. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I I at least had had no question for me that all of the intelligence and proclivities of this mind are the ship's ai but i mean if you guys have you know had a different read on it like by all means make an argument because i might you might have missed you might have picked up on something i missed so mm-hmm. i apparently missed a lot of things you guys caught so <laughs> the one thing that got me was like so there's this definite idea i mean it's hard because when we counter breck what is breck at that point is it just a kind of a ghost of his former self and it has some memories but this kind of initial dislike of Savardin, like, did she always dislike Savardin, or is that a new thing? And is that because it remembers how Savardin treated the uh, people who were going to become ancillaries, and then has some? She has some sort of memory mm-hmm. of being an ancillary herself. I don't. That was the one thing that kind of made me think that there was some kind of like little tiny uh, ghost of the former person in there somewhere. Yeah, she definitely has, like, standards, and it's hard to know if those standards come from her status as an ancillary or if or if the empathy she feels is, is left over. Uh, there's, you know, she, she talks a lot of shit about Savarden. You know, as soon as she finds her on the first page, it's like, ah, she was never one of my favorites, but I will divert all of my resources into helping her. Is that programming? Is you know, does she yeah. really care? I mean, I think I that's the question throughout the whole the whole story. That coincidence kind of rankled me a little bit. Like, oh, you're just in this random planet in the middle of nowhere. You're on Hoth, and you happen to run into this person who you just happened to know from <laughs> yeah. forever before. That was a little bit like, okay, got you. But I mean, if if you're thinking it from the author's point of view, if you are the last, if you are the unrecognizable last remnant of a self, right? And you meet someone you know. That's compelling. Like, I can understand why she brought in someone to say, like, you know Justice of Torin. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's the and only, that, like, like, from Savardin's viewpoint, it's the only person left in the universe who she does know. He does know. Yeah. And it was a little bit like, okay, I get the, the plot point of it, but it was a little bit like, that's a big coincidence. Well, how how very irreligious of you, Matt, because the uh, the Radchai like to say there are no coincidences. There are none. <laughs> like, everything is as is an excellent way to write your way out of that. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I, I think I think that the larger point that the fact that this is somebody that just like justice of Torin knows that's exactly why she saves him it has nothing to do with like actual empathy or compassion or even liking for him it's just like the sort of recognition that oh this person knows me 
Like that's that's compelling. Yeah. That would that would impel you to save that person just for sort of the sake of your own sanity and having like a reference external to yourself that like Especially I once was recognized by someone yeah. else. Yeah. I took it as a very like human view on what is it like to have programming that you don't know that you have. And so she's so like Brackus constantly feels this need to take care of Safari, mm-hmm. even though it's like it's annoying, it doesn't make any sense. But is that just residual programming that she's not aware of is there, but she now has to care for this person mm-hmm. who's kind of a useless and gets in her way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's also a, a, a fair read on it. But I think also taking care of one of her officers helps her remember herself more. Because at that point, she was just a sword, right? Like, she's just, she's mm-hmm. off to seek vengeance against... You know the Lord of the Ratch who made her kill her favorite her favorite officer, and then murdered her <laughs> because she figured out their secret, um, which is amazing. Like that's the whole like the reveal. Like I thought when I read the story, I really thought there was just going to be this big reveal about Breck that like the songs that she sang meant something or that you know she was really someone else you know because that's like the expected thing but really what we're looking at is just somebody who stumbled upon because they exist in a way that allows them to observe in multiple places and multiple time points like Mm -hmm. that the ruler of the universe is in fact many people and split down the middle and warring against themselves and that's maybe why the empire isn't doing as well as it used to do like that part was way more interesting to me then, I mean, I mean, I like Breck. I want to know more about Breck, but I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I that, I want to know more about that. Yeah. Yeah, I found that part far more interesting than the earlier parts. Agreed. <laughs> um, I... So we have a little doc that we put together. So I, I linked some of the songs. I found some of the songs that one asks sing. The, it's not the My Heart is a Fish. I cannot find any evidence that that is a real song. But there's some other songs that one asks sings when she's on the Dagobah planet, the swamp planet, whose name I forget, where Lieutenant On um, was the, the governor, uh, basically. Sh- Shisern, I think, however you want to say it. Shiserna, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the, I'm going to, I link those if I can, I will insert them into this episode. Otherwise I'm going to link them in the description. Um, but yeah, they are not what I expected cause I don't listen to choral music. Uh, but they are like kind of terrifying <laughs> and I they really are. like, if you get a chance, listen to them. They are imagining yourself in a big ship in space, like listening to that listening to random robots like sing these it's it's got to be really <laughs> scary but also kind of beautiful and singularly human uh i like it it's weird let's take a listen
one of the things that I do want to talk about Sivarden is, you know, okay, yes, she provides, uh, like, a touchstone for Breck about her past life, about herself, her identity. But I think also Sivarden, I, I picked up on this. I don't know if it's real, but I feel like Sivarden ha- is kind of attracted to Breck. Yeah. Totally. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. I'm not crazy. In a very I like weird, to ship people like, together. <laughs> in a very weird, like, almost, like, mommy take care of me way but yeah maybe that's me yeah it's well, like a florence nightingale thing right like she gets saved yeah. and cared for punched in the yeah. face but fed so <laughs> but i mean from from Sivarden's point of view so you know he he wakes up after a thousand years the literally the world has changed and so he goes on a drug binge for a year and then winds up, you know, getting picked up by this babe who, like, is totally competent and can totally kick his ass, and like, I don't know, I can, I can see why he has a thing, and um, I wonder if that survives him finding out that she's just as a Torin. <laughs> like, it's his new life goal, yeah. I'm gonna become one of Torin's favorites, like, I don't know. How does that work? Yeah, right? <laughs> that Well, that's the thing. Does Sivarden become a favorite just because she's there and she's the last remaining officer? Or is there always this weird kind of grudging, like, oh, you were never one of my favorites kind of thing between them? That's totally why I'm going to read the next two books. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it would be un- unfair to Sivarden for him to never be able to become a favorite because he actually does grow and change and... Like being around yes. Breck, especially since he at first just sees her as a human, like actually starts slashing so many of his pretensions and his beliefs about like the innate superiority of you know one set of people over another. Well, it seems like Savarin's like maybe the only person who doesn't uh, have any loyalties back to the Empire anymore, and so you know Breck knows she can trust him. That's, That's true. true. Like she doesn't have true. any any money or, yeah, she doesn't care. Or family or, yeah. I still have a hard time thinking of Sivarden as, like, a hot dude. I just think of it as a girl. He's a girl to me. It's, yes, that's it's like, my problem. It's a pro- I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that, but it's a product of, like, the of the language where I'm like, Sivarden's a girl. Sivarden's a bratty teenage girl. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I view Sivarden as a Draco Malfoy that, um, you know, kind of... Uh, well, well groomed and a little bit, you know, high strung, um, guy version. <laughs> My guy brain version. made this okay. Guy Draco. Actually, He's just sort of like that. Okay. That might make me help remember. He's the affluenza guy to me. He's just like this kid who who's like from a good family who never had to do anything on his own and like never had to suffer any consequences. He's that guy to me. So he hasn't really ha- ever had to struggle. Yeah. So now he doesn't know how to deal with life. He still hasn't had to struggle because he he passed out, almost died in snow on this shitty planet, and along comes the ship, like, oh, let me just take care of you. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. He uh, he also spends, like, the seven months there in transit, you know, ironing and ruining shirts and learning how to become a servant the hard way. He tries. (laughs) Go ahead, Matt. Oh no! I said he also uh, he he's convinced it's all about him too. It's it's you know there's no way that that uh, Esk is or Brex sorry is possibly there for any reason but for him. Mm-hmm. Very self centered. Oh, for sure. And then when he finds out that there's another there's another like huge galactic you know epic spanning 
problem. He's like, what? No, it's it's about me. It's it's about me. I need tea and gloves. That's <laughs> what I need. There's a lot of tea. Um, what about Lieutenant On? Do we? There's a lot how of do tea. we? Why is Lieutenant On a favorite of of one esque really? On just seems to be the only person with any kind of morals to me in the book. So you think? On had had morals that no one else seemed to have. I mean, On knew some decent people. Yeah, but like On On was you like trying to stand guilt? up for right things. I don't I don't know. On to me just seemed On was the more likable person to me. So <clears throat> my take on it is that On was one of the few officers who took notice of the ship. Like, I don't know, um, it was a very subtle thing, but when, but like, Ahn was obviously upset about the ancillary bodies um, being, like, reconnected, and she was concerned about 1S having to disconnect, you know, for a few minutes, and so she actually, like, went to the infirmary and was there and got mad at the medic for not treating her ancillary gently. So mm. I thought that she was a favorite of, of 1S because she actually treated the ship's AI like a, a person rather than a tool. And so it's kind of like you give respect, you get respect. Yeah. But that's what yeah. I mean by like, this was, on was, had more morals, like knowing that this was originally somebody else and that, you know, it's not, it's not just, it's not just a ship to her. This, this is a, this is something, this was human. This was, this was a body of somebody at some point. So like, that's, Everybody else treats them like they're not they're not there, that they're just they're just robotic, but they're not. So I don't know. I think well, I just I, think on was probably the more likable of anybody out of everything in that book. Well, I think it's I found it very convenient that for sort of a modern audience, she was also the one the ship liked. But I mean, I will I will say that I felt like on had a lot of integrity and she yeah. was like the one person in out of all the officers we met she wasn't really scrambling for like the advancement of her house she wasn't trying to use anybody to get ahead she wasn't stepping on anyone she was simply honestly all the time everything she did trying to do the right thing and it's you know the, the age-old joke that like having integrity like the person with integrity is the most dangerous person in the room because they can't be depended on to follow the social norms or to follow their orders or to, you know, do the thing that other people want them to do because they have their own moral compass. So in, in that kind of morality, I think she also had something that none of the other characters, um, at least that we met, did or could definitively have been said to have based on what the J Justice of Torin could see of them. Like maybe so... uh, Skyet had some, but the ship couldn't say for sure because she didn't, you know, serve with her. So on gets the Ned Stark Award. The Ned Stark Award, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. For oh my sure. God. Um, <laughs> I don't More listen honor. to the Fire and Lunch podcast, so we always gave out the Ned Stark Award to the person, the character that in that episode that gave, uh, what, that put honor before... Reason, I guess. Reason and... Common yeah. sense. Common sense. Self-preservation. <laughs> I think, well, so... There's all, I think there's all, I think what to go back to what you said about the modern audience, Lena. I think there is something that is very appealing to a modern audience about on because she's not she's not from a, a good house. She's she's from right. a, she's low class. She's been given an opportunity. She feels inferior. That's why she's so proper all the time, uh, mm -hmm. and why she's also kind of 
a little folksy and easier to to like right because she's she doesn't have that like icy better than you kind of royal whatever that a lot of the other officers have because they come from these families that are have you know ruled for thousands of years mm -hmm. but i wonder if i mean lieutenant on is a product of a new program in the ratch empire that came about specifically because Ananda me and I is fighting herself, himself, mm -hmm. right? Because they right. were they're they're having to they're having to stop the expansion because they've they've kind of met a wall of an alien called the Presger that have the technology to destroy them that they can't beat, and so now they're trying to find different ways to expand or change and because of that there are people who are testing into you know officer positions that wouldn't normally because they come from lower houses so it's kind of weird that she's a i mean i guess it's not weird i guess it's completely within the author's prerogative to make her a product of that whole conspiracy that we don't find out about until much later right <clears throat> Well, I didn't understand if she was a beneficiary, which Anander she was a beneficiary of. I, I could not figure that out, like which one was the good one or the bad one, if there was a good one or a bad if one. If there was a good one or a bad one. I mean, it seems to be that the one at the end that was left, the kid one, <laughs> yeah. that was yeah. like, hey, all that's left is this kid body, um, and that that Breck seemed to have kind of a, a, a sort of temporary alliance with that was the one that didn't kill lieutenant Anne, right because right. if right. he had it'd been like no holds barred i'm definitely putting this bullet in your head yeah the uh i found the best way to separate the two anonders was reformer and conservative like the the reformer anander is the one that sort of sees um the need for loosening the um like the the tests and the or not loosening but like changing it so it's not always kids from the proper families but actually mm -hmm. based on merit and ability and that you know sees the need to end the constant expansions and find sort of a new path and then there's the conservative anander that says we need to just go at the presger and kill them and put things back where they are where everyone knows their place and the proper people are in the the positions of power um and so the conservative Anander is the one that killed Lieutenant on. And so whether it's right or not, um, Breck would be on the side of reformer Anander. Right. I wonder if that ends up being true. I, that's like, I, I mean, I'm hopefully I'll find out when I read the next novels, but I, I feel like that that's going to keep coming up. Like which, which side is Breck going to assist? Mm-hmm. Is it the reformer or the conservative that wants to stop expanding? The reformer. The reformer. Yeah. Okay. Because she he he realizes that they can't beat the Presger, and that's fine. <laughs> like they have these guns, these crazy guns. So that's like the whole arc of the novel, right? Is oh, for twenty no, years are, Breck has are been those trying Presker to find guns? these. Yeah. yeah, they're Presger guns. Uh, I thought they were a different culture that they conquered. Well, it happened at Garced, um, the Garcetti, but or Garcetti oh, or they whatever. Had but but, but guns. the but the guns were given to them by the Presker. Right. So okay. they there's a ship, the first ship that ever dis sort of disappeared, and I forget the name of that ship, but 
there's not a this, conf- which was the one Sivarden was serving on. Right. So Sivarden was on that ship, but then Justice of Toran was also at Garcetti as they were um, annexing it, and that's when they had the in, the encounter with the Presger, who have their own humans uh, that they kind of kidnapped, I guess, and then like turned to their ends. And then they came back, and it seems to be that their whole, and this is a trope in sci-fi, it's the alien that's stronger than you that doesn't see you as a, as a person, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're just an obstacle, you're vermin, and that's kind of how the Presger see the Radshai, uh, who th- think of themselves as the height of, you know, civilization, and there's nothing they can do about it because the Presger have better technology than them, and so there's a, um, after they lose a ship and there's a bunch of other shit that goes down. They decide that there's going to be this kind of truce where it's like, you don't mess with us. We don't mess with you. But there are these guns that the Garcetti have that are, I don't, what are there? 33? I don't remember. 25, I think. 25. The 25 rulers of Gar, you know, they had them. So they were all, all but one were confiscated. And so Breck is searching for that last gun because God damn it. She's going to kill at least one Anander, before she goes. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing, too. Did anybody else get the impression that this entire culture is completely technologically stagnant? Like, they don't invent new stuff? Yeah, I totally see that. It, just, it wasn't, yeah, I don't... Yeah. yeah, that wasn't something I guess I consciously thought about, but no, absolutely. They, like, their whole... I mean, it's it said their economy is based on the expansions, but it's not based on innovation. It's simply based on moving like more worlds into their control. And so the right. more worlds you have, the more positions you have for the people who need positions. And so, yeah. Yeah. And it seems like most of the worlds that they are annexing are basically humans, right? Like they might mm-hmm. look a little different, but the Presger are aliens. Like they look weird. Yeah. They have like, they're not human. They can't speak our languages. Like, so it's kind of like, there's like for whatever, what before the Radshai, there was, human diaspora right and now they're yes. kind of mopping it up yeah well then who are the errs i was like did you really come up with a different name <laughs> no Arr. no they can't <laughs> but it but it made them sound so very alien and and it, and it also made you understand why the uh, the Red Chai pretensions would be like the pretentious Red Chai would be like, well, how can they possibly be intelligent if they call themselves the Ur? They're animals, right? Okay, when you put it that way, all right. But I was just like, I felt like that's a sound my stomach makes when I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured Wookies, you guys. They were. I was the only one doing the pirate thing. Don't hurt the Wookies. Uh, uh, I, I, I also appreciated, and I think this has more to do with populating this kind of declining empire trope, but I appreciated the weird religious iconography. Um, yeah. it kind of felt like Hindu-y, uh, yes. they had all these temples, they would go in, they would like make these little offerings to the temples and she had an icon and I don't know if I picked, this might just be me projecting, but the icon that Breck carried, that was Breck, right? Yes. She made her own icon. No, no. Um, So how she got all the money that she has is she went in uh, with somebody that was basically like some kind of religious crusade is is the implication. 
um, as a mercenary, and mm-hmm. so the head that that icon is carrying is one of the saints. So I'm guessing this is a religion gone wrong, <laughs> or a religion that somebody was very, very unhappy about, and that person had a lot of money and paid her a lot of money to go, like, kick ass and take names. Although she also says she only killed 12 people in the course of her 19 years of searching for all of this, so I don't know whether that includes the uh, her time as a mercenary or only, like, related to her search. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely I don't know her. why she prays to herself. Like, that's the thing I don't get. Is it, like, the vengeance goddess? Is it some remnant of Justice of Torin? Like, that part I got real sucked into. I'm like, what does it mean? I just keep <laughs> picturing, like, Greek Orthodox icons. Like, these yeah. big, gold, shiny, really pretty and ornate. I was thinking looking. more of, like, a Hindu naked lady with a sword and, like, that's actually pretty awesome. <laughs> Do we think that what one esque nineteen? Like, what does she learn? What is the arc besides like more fully understanding what the hell's going on? Is there an emotional component? Does she change her goals by the end of the story? I, I think so. I think. Um... I mean, there's there's a point, you know, where she talks about I'm going to like where she talks about how she would literally die trying to accomplish the goal that she had set herself. But then by the end of the book, she actually has succeeded in accomplishing that goal, which is confronting Anander Mayanai and forcing which, by the way, Mayanai also a pun. So either way. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it works both ways, guys. Yeah, but but by by forcing the um, the, <laughs> by, by forcing um, Anander to confront the separation of himself, you know, it's yes, it's going to trigger a civil war, but it's also going to hopefully like move that situation forward. So she timed her um, se- what she perceived as a self sacrifice very well to quote make it count. Like that was one of the sort of recurring themes. If you're going to do something kind of stupid and self-sacrificing, make it count, like pick the moment where it's actually going to have an effect. And she certainly has an effect, but then the other people around her who either love her, respect her, or want to use her, pull her back from the edge of death. And so then it's, she's sort of confronted with, well, I still exist. So how do I go forward? Like what, what do I do? And I mean, the ending of the book is crazy. They shut down a space station. She's, like, talking to another ship. Sivarden's trying to get to her. She's, like, I, I imagine these, like, spider Ananders just, like, crawling all over yeah. the But, you know? Like, she finally kills them all. Then she dies. Then she wakes up. And then the last remaining Anander that's, like, a kid, right, is like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to make you the captain of this ship. You have to go there. And then it's like, what? what's happening? Like, Oh, and then the ship well, guilt trips her because, oh, yeah. well, I mean, I, I, rec- I realize yeah. that just a, a small little mercy ship isn't, like, good enough for, for you. If you ask, I'm sure they'll give you a justice. But I, I need a captain, and I want you. Yeah, but she, yeah and she's, she's, to me, she strikes me as a reluctant hero at this point. She just Very. wants to, she just wants to be, she just wants her revenge and then she's okay with dying like the rest of her ship, but now not only is she has she survived, she now has to fix things. It's such a western. 
It's such a Western, you guys. Like, she's just, like, the old cranky guy in chaps who, like, finds a lost girl, <laughs> takes care of her, does her business, figures out, saves the West, becomes, like, the new sheriff. And has to like, adopt the little child who's been orphaned. Oh, God. I have not seen that Western. <laughs> With the dead wife and, like, all that shit. It's just a fucking Western. <laughs> I love the, it. The if only I see thing... one more sheriff who used to be part of an AI entity, I just swear to God. <laughs> no, the only the only thing missing was the uh, the some talk about I'm just here for redemption. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I otherwise, yeah, it's I like 100 percent Western. <laughs> I mean, there was like there was a lot of guilt involved, right? Because it was weird mm-hmm. because it's not it was Anander that made that said kill Lieutenant On, but and it, it and was one esque that. That fired, right? Right. So no, yeah, it it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it was one var. Um, so it was. Oh, it was. Yeah, because uh, it was. It, yeah, it was one var that actually fired the shot that killed Lieutenant On. But one esque isn't willing to self deceive enough to say that any part of the ship's AI was not also itself. Oh man, I didn't know it was one var. I didn't catch that at all. Yeah, that's that's see that's that's more on the whole like ah they're not individuals at all kind of thing. I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, because the the entire like squad of one esque was like frozen because they knew what was happening and were like that's Lieutenant On, that's Lieutenant On, no, <laughs> no. So you know, and one var tried to stall. So I mean, Torin was not insensible to that. Like one var stalled as much as it could, but it's kind of written into the AI's like literally into its DNA that yeah. it cannot ever disregard. An order from Anander Mayanai. So, so the soldier who had gone rogue and had taken over its own ship was that an ancillary or was that a normal human? That was a human. Okay. The history is very intriguing, but very poorly fleshed out. There's a there's a lot that I picked up on the re- on the second yeah. read. Like it's 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 very it. In a way, it's a really deceptively simple story because, like, the, the main plot points can be summed up as, you know, fairly simple things. Like, Breck takes a road trip to get a gun. Breck takes the gun to an under my eye. They have a big fight with the space station. The end. You know, but, like, but there's so much packed into road all of it. Road trip to get a gun. I know. Yes. Through the winter snow of milk. Through the winter snow of milk. It's, oh. it's negative 15 degrees Celsius and we're taking off the coats because it's fucking spring, y'all. <laughs> and then they help a random little girl save her uncle from a tiger or some shit. Who knows? That's just in there. Yeah. Yep. But that's so they can meet the doctor who has this precious gun. She's and Breck can hear another song. Because it's her, doesn't her cousin sing? And they send Breck off to see... The, the cousin sing? Yes, there's yes. more music that she learns. Yes. yes. And that's when Savardin sells the ship. <laughs> this That's the oh, one thing Savardin. where I roll my eyes, you guys. When when Breck gets to the space station at the end, and lo and behold, who's there at the desk but the little girl from the temple. Oh, yeah. That part, I was like, God damn it. <laughs> it's only seven people in this galaxy. <laughs> it really is. Oh, she's like, she's like, oh, I should know her. I should know her. And then, of course, what's what's her name? Skyet? Yeah, Skyet Anwar. So I do want to call out the fact that everyone's real, quote unquote, real perceived sexual gender, whatever, is outed except for Lieutenant On and Skyet. Yep. 
What the fuck is that about? What's that about? <laughs> well, I, I, I would, I would posit that it's kind of a statement that it, it doesn't matter. And this is this was one of the things that, um, that Lecky played with is the concept that like all the like cultural markers of what makes someone masculine or feminine change because lieutenant on is described as like having short hair but not wanting to use cosmetics and then you know there's all this about like on and sky obviously have like a sexual friendship but mm-hmm. um it's never said with sky either although i think sky female simply because she has so like, breathy laughs and you know has that sort of flirtatious thing but and I think on's female too, but I don't know. It, it lit- like it never is said, and in a way, it doesn't matter. In a right. way, it doesn't matter. But I do have a personal theory that everyone who knows what they're about and who gets their shit done is female. It's female. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I agree. I agree, Elena. I think they're both female. Um, like that was just the impression I had, probably because, like Rachel said, they get shit done. Um, so they must they must be women. Um, they must be women. So yeah. yeah. Well, apologies again, Matt. They're not assholes. So I'm just sick of women picking on men. It's been too many years of that. I'm sick of one women of... silencing the male's viewpoint. Well, one one thought that I had, and and I don't know. Um, it was it. I just wonder, like, whether the gender blind could have worked so well if this book had been published, like, 20 or 30 years ago. Because, like, it's just assumed that anybody reading this book is is completely normalized to the idea of same-sex, like, pairings. Because, like, at no point is it, is it referenced that, like, it's weird or unusual for either, you know, gender to hook up with the other in the Radchai. And, like, I, even, like, science fiction that addressed this... Um, I, I'm, okay, this is like '70s science fiction that addressed this. Like, it it was always a very clear like statement about how it functioned within their society. Like, there's no statements here. Like, it's never like talked about at all. But yet, like reading it, you know, it's entirely possible that it's two women or two men, and it's just like I don't know. Did anybody well, else that, wonder about that? I just want to say, like, because you know, the, our last episode uh, was about the left hand of darkness, which ancillary justice is obviously. A kind of child of right in terms right. of uh science fiction that talks about friendships and sexuality and, and plays with language in order to do that um i wonder though because this it doesn't i think we're right like it doesn't matter like they could have all been he's they could have all been she's i did read an article that interviewed the author where she said she initially wrote it with everybody's regular you know pronouns and then she went back in and changed it to all she and that did change the way that she kind of thought about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if, like, you know, we came to the conclusion for Left Hand of Darkness that it was a love story but not a sexual love story. Breck is sort of asexual because Breck is a ship. But there's a lot of sexual uh, motivation happening in this story. Mm-hmm. I don't, so I don't know if it matters as much. Like, I, I feel like she did it to make her story seem futuristic. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was actually thinking about that specific aspect, and yeah. I, th- I think what she's showing is there's, in, in human culture, there's always a link between power and sexuality, but that the gender yeah, and all of those relationships are still sort could, of in balance, right? Like, 
yes like and and that's one of the things that comes up over and over and over again is this concept of like clientage and a more powerful house like offering protection presumably for sexual favors among other things to lesser houses and that could be inappropriate or it could be misconstrued or god forbid Sivarden's nephew niece whatever it was get involved with someone from a lower house who had more power because that looks bad on the family you know that all that but it, it was not about the gender because power didn't derive from gender so it was one of those statements, because I think we said this about the left hand of darkness, is, well, obviously people still, like, make decisions based on, you know, sexual things, like who's going to marry who. It's just, you know, not about male-female. So this is kind mm-hmm. of the same statement where, well, sex and power are forever entwined. It's just not related to a patriarchal power. It's, like, you know, family power or, you know, political power, but not sexually gendered power mm-hmm. yeah no i get that there's like i i also i mean it might i was reading into it a little bit i was also kind of when i'm not i'm not a guy me and i whatever the fuck his name is i'm like okay he's a guy and there's a thousand of them and he doesn't even agree with himself and he's still fucking everybody <laughs> over and that <laughs> it's just so quintessentially pretty male. accurate like it's just uh, the whole, I mean, I, this may be reading into it. Tweet me if you disagree, but like, I was just like of <laughs> oh course, God, you just asked people to do that. Of course he's a guy. Like, I think I'm the only one that read her, at, read Ananda as a, a woman. Really? <laughs> no, I did too. I did too. Well, because there's that one a, scene where I it's the little picturing... old lady and that just kind of stuck with me. Right. And I just kept envisioning Ananda as this little old lady. No, no, I kept picturing this woman in this big white robe with hair like Ursula from The Little Mermaid. That's what I kept seeing. <laughs> Great, now she's Ursula in my head. Thanks, Lauren. She's, and then she's I was like, Ursula. oh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think we've all agreed, though, that in terms of this story's interestingness, it's not as much about the kind of weird language that she created right i don't know that's i mean it's it's compelling but at the end it just becomes a tool what's more compelling is this idea of breck the ancillary who's not a human who doesn't want to be a human but who has feelings and emotions in a different way than being human and i think that also helps the reader ground themselves in what they think is important you know the things that they gravitate to in the story and of course i'm going to bring up cj cherry of course that, you are. Of course I am. Uh, I, I said this in the in the Left Hand of Darkness episode. Ancillary Justice is definitely a child of Left Hand of Darkness, but it's also a child of C.J. Cherry because she does a lot with examining what it's like to be human by examining what it's like to be not human. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I really appreciate that kind of that kind of narrative. I'm definitely looking forward to reading the others. Yeah, I definitely felt like the the gender thing felt like more of a gimmick, whereas the ancillary identity thing felt like a more thought out, interesting concept that I wanted more of. I found the gender thing just kind of a stumbling block from a reading. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that she did it though, just from a challenge to my own mental imaginings. I just would have preferred if she had left it as it wasn't that bad. the. There you go. No, like that female was the was the the major pronoun, but like if if they left out the parts about 
uh, Breck trying to figure out who's male and female. Like if you just let people's minds go to wherever they went, I think that would have it would have been more enjoyable for me. Well, see, I, I actually um, came to enjoy the, the the struggle about the gender as kind of an aspect of Breck being an artificial intelligence because like part of why she is so preoccupied with it, and she says this like when she gets back to the the Radchai space, she's like, "Thank God I can stop fucking worrying about it and just you know go back to talking." Is that um, she's trying to pass as human, and it's something that humans don't mm-hmm. get wrong about each other. And so when she is confronted with these cultures that have like the gender specific pronouns that she has to pick one way or the other, um, you know, she's she is trying to like figure out like what to say so she doesn't get it wrong because that would be a tip off that she is not what she seems or that there's something wrong or weird about her. Um, so. To me, like, there was a point where it actually started, like, emphasizing her sort of disconnection from humanity and the ways in which she is a a foreign kind of intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a a tool and not the major reason that people should read read this book. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. I imagine that's why it got a lot of the attention was because of that, but I think the actual, the cleverness of it was not that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it's funny because, you know, it is the first question that anyone asks the author in any of the the interviews that I found. And it seems to be the thing that she's just, she answers the same way every time. And she's like, I did it and it's fine. Can we talk about something else? Yeah, well, I mean, without meaning to, I think it was like a third of the questions in at least the initial draft of our discussion, like questions. It's just because it is something that you can't, like as much as you want it to be irrelevant, you also can't not talk about it because it does like affect how you read the book, especially the first time. Like I would say is on a reread, it's not relevant. Like I get that. I'm like, Oh, okay. I understand. But like my first read shit, I struggled with it. It was a big part of the reading yeah. experience, whether intentional or not. It like it is. So you have, you can't not address that when you're discussing it. I had a harder, I mean, being confused for the first hundred pages of a sci-fi novel to me, that is completely normal. Like, yes, yeah. be confused. <laughs> What does this name mean? How do I pronounce it? Like, why are there so many apostrophes? Like, all of that stuff. <laughs> Part of science fiction. Yeah, but I then give her credit be... for no names with apostrophes. I give her credit there was for one. <laughs> there was <laughs> one. <laughs> Shiserna, the planet. But you know what? Oh, yeah. you, can, you can deal with one. But when it's like every yeah. planet, she did the other come thing. on, guys. She did the other thing. When you can't put it in an apostrophe, you just stick in more vowels. Yeah. <laughs> Like, do I say this? Do I ignore the extra vowels? Is it silent? Is it a nander or a na a neander? Is it, is it a nander? Like, <laughs> I think you should just try to assign pronunciation to words. <laughs> I think there should be an immediate guide. Are you kidding? You just tell me how to say it. I'm gonna look it up after, and it's gonna be it's not me and I, and I'm like it's definitely me and I. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> See, my problem is with things that aren't words that I know uh, or names like names like that. I tend to, for some reason in my head, always use like the pronunciation of what Italian value- vowels would be. So everything is always fucked up in my head. Because then when somebody else says it, I'm like, oh, it's not pronounced like that and i feel like a moron but i don't know why i decide everything's italian so you'd, you'd be saying it what me and eat me and me and i it, <laughs> yeah, exactly no exactly that's what i was saying that's exactly what i was doing 
So I don't know why I just to go with that. Yeah. What were the hand gestures that go with it? Well, you know, I'm Italian. I flail all the time anyway, so I expect everybody else to do it. (laughs) I definitely waved my hands around when I said it, so it definitely went up. Oh, I love it. So an anti colonialist pro AI as people gender doesn't matter. Definitely punch your crush in the face. Kind of well, it's just common sense. Yeah. I just loved it when she punched Siberian, you guys. Like, we're <laughs> oh, done talking. I did, I did <laughs> like that. That was a good moment. And then when Siberian wakes up, she's just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay. Takes different strokes. Well, I, 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 I particularly enjoyed how how Breck um, was like, well, I don't know if he's choosing not to admit that it happened or really doesn't remember, but okay, <laughs> either way, we're just going to pretend Whatever. like it didn't happen. <laughs> no one Locks makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> Though I do, I do appreciate the fact that, that Breck can put, and this is a weird thing to talk about in the context of a kind of weirdly feminist gender book that we've been, just read, but I appreciate the fact that Breck can punch the shit out of Sivarden, but if anybody says anything nasty about Breck, Sivarden goes ballistic. Yeah. My favorite line in the book is actually from Sivarden, and it's, if that's what you would do for someone you hate, what would you do for someone you love? And to me, like, that's why he's following her, is like, he's like, this person doesn't like me, and she literally, like, just broke herself to save me. And, like, it kind of creates this fanaticism in him, and after that, yeah, he is, like... Her biggest fan forever. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sticking with you, going wherever you need to go. Can I sleep in your room? Do you need some tea? <laughs> yeah, is he literally like sleeping on a cot and there goes the next tea. to her bed at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, the devoted servant boyfriend. That is a trope for sure. I don't know what it's called, but devoted servant boyfriend. That's like an anime thing. Oh, oh it is, I love yeah. this book. It is totally a trope. It, yeah, totally. The Smithers trope. Yes. <laughs> you made it not hot. I don't, I don't that. I, I kind of thought it was hot. So, in terms of kissing in the book, not so much. However, what is our kind of, we're trying to come up, I'm calling it rabidity level until I come up with a better name. Please, God, someone give me a better name. What is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how, how likely are you to evangelize this book to others? Uh, hmm. I give it a solid seven. I mean, I, I think there's seven is a good. yeah. There's there's a the concepts behind it are very interesting. Interface board. I thought the prose didn't give me the, like the story in the manner that I wanted. It didn't kind of was a little cheap with the story at times with the plot development. But I liked some of the ideas and the universe that she's creating. Okay, Lauren. Um, okay, well, let me preface this with Rachel and Matt know how I, um, how quick I read. This took me three weeks. Usually I can read, um, usually I can read like three books a week. So, um, I was bored for the first two thirds of this book. And when it got interesting, I was like, oh, yay. Why couldn't this happen? I don't know. In the fucking beginning. <laughs> so, um, no. 
A world of okay. no. A world of no. I, I, not even not I'll, even a one? I'll give it a one. I'll give it a one, one and a half. A one and a half? <laughs> You're oh, hurting yeah. me. Wow. Okay. So, Rachel, don't I usually love the books you tell me to read? No. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Is I don't it know not how true? to deal with Rachel being the one that likes something. I like a lot of things. <laughs> like so many things and there's not even any sand in this book okay i know there's no worms there's no sand um there's no worms so i usually have like a minimum there has to be at least one sandworm uh (laughs) well i actually think my morbidity level changed on the reread because i as like neutrally positive like mostly i liked it but you know, kind of as an intellectual experiment. And if, like, if you're really a sci-fi aficionado or you like mind fucks, like, read this. So, like, I was probably a four or five, and I'm going to go, like, solid eight or nine at this point. Like, this... I've, I really got a lot more out of it on the reread. Yeah, I, I'm calling it... Oh, what should I call it? I could call it the Rogue One effect, where it's, like, you watch it the first... Uh, you you know, you watch it or read it the first time, you're like, I really like this. This this scratches all the things I enjoy. So, you know, solid mm-hmm. six, seven. But you read it again, and because you understand it or you've been able to bridge in your mind the kind of mm-hmm. character, like, you know, sweet baby cinnamon roll shit that you need, then it can elevate it to, like, you know, two or three points. So now I'm at, like, a solid nine where, like, Breck is a cinnamon roll, too good for this world, and I want everyone <laughs> to read it for sure. Yep. I feel like I'm really not following this cinnamon roll metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's it's a meme. It's a meme in which you take so, you take a character and you say they are too perfect for this world. They are a perfect cinnamon roll. Too pure, that, too perfect. That, okay. <laughs> you take a picture of a cinnamon roll, you replace it with the picture of the thing, but it's the same. You're supposed to just see a cinnamon roll. Never mind. People get it. <laughs> You do, you do you, Rachel. You do you. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do me solid nine. So we have a nine, we have a seven, we have another eight, and then we have a one and a half. Really you, Lauren. That was a begrudging one and a half, too. A begrudging one and a half. I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry. I tried. And, and you guys know how quickly I read. And there were times I was sitting on the train going, do I want to read this book? Do I want to play two dots? Two oh, dots! <laughs> You and Breck might be the same person. I am Breck. I'm totally Breck. Do I want to kill this sing. guy or you want to play two dots? I don't know. Oh, man. Anything um, else you want to say in conclusion of our discussion of ancillary justice? Um, well, I read a synopsis of the book and I sent, I showed it to Matt and I was like, this book sounds great. Why aren't I reading it? <laughs> so that was how I felt. So space opera's not your not your thing. Um, well, not this particular one. Okay. <laughs> you know me. I'll read pretty much anything. So I was disappointed in, that I that I was disappointed. I'm sorry I made you read this book, Lauren. I'm, it's okay. It's okay. I gave my 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 eyes a little exercise. <laughs> I I was mildly enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was interesting, intriguing. I don't think I want to run out and read the other two books. It's probably all my summation of the book. <laughs> okay, 
I mean, we had this, Elena and I said this before we started recording. It was like, oh, you know, the first time we read it, we were like, yeah, we're going to get around to reading the next books, but we never did. And then we read it again and we're like, we're definitely reading the next book. So I really think that it's a two read book. It must yeah. be. Okay. We never so... got time for that. Yeah. There's, a, there's other books in the world for me to read. Oh, I love rereading stuff. You don't, you don't says the library. I'm also a rereader. So. Um, I would love I would love a synopsis of the of the last book and just to know how it ended, but no, I will never read it unless you read put it. a I'll tell you. A gun we'll to tell my, you thank about you. that. All right. I I, I I would love that. In fact, if you can just tweet it to me so I don't have to read that much about it. I will send you a tweet a day. One sentence a day. <laughs> For three you weeks. can read it or play two dots. <laughs> um, Elena What's our next book? Yeah, okay, so since uh, this really ended up being such a mutual um, pick, uh, Rachel's given me a mulligan and letting me pick the next book. So uh, we're going to continue our science fiction gender studies course and read Biting the Sun by Tanith Lee, um, which is a different, yet it's, it's a new and different take on um, gender gender swapping and role play. So it's, uh, I want to say from the seventies, it was originally published as two novellas. Don't bite the sun and drinking sapphire wine, uh, should be a really good time. <laughs> awesome. That sounds interesting. You don't get to read it. <laughs> I, 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 what, I, I couldn't read it on my own. It's not for you. Fine. Not for you. There's not no allowed. books for you. Please, please, please <laughs> read it on your own, and then you can enjoy our podcast as somebody who's read the book we're discussing instead of um, somebody who's listening and hasn't read the book, which I don't know why you do, but I have you know, multiple friends telling I, me I, they I've, I've already listened to. <laughs> I I've already listened to a couple of episodes without reading the book, so... So I hope the that there's not some poor student that ends up listening to these episodes in lieu of reading the uh, book for like a, a course. <laughs> oh, Can God. you imagine? Writes their oh. thesis on it. <laughs> Maybe he we'll has a good. footnote. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for reading Ancillary Justice, guys. I, yes, thank you. Um, thank you for having us. Of course, Sorry. whenever you want to come back or assign us a book in retribution, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I will think about this. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. 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 Bye.